Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Zoom in Toronto, Canada, Earth. It's Thursday, April 15th, relatively early in the morning. It was a big night of basketball last night on Wednesday. We'll talk about Luka Doncic's miraculous game winner against the Grizzlies and his distaste for the play-in games, Jamal Murray's season-ending injury, and the CEBL draft. But we're going to start with a spate of birthdays. Shep was last week. Happy birthday, Shep. You're Happy birthday to our producer, Dan Wong, who turned Longer. 21 we, yesterday. We don't talk about how old I am. It's like five months. <laughs> we don't talk about Wong's age. Well, <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday, as, you old bastard. We love you, buddy. As you can hear, he ain't 21. He's probably about three times that age. But happy birthday, Wonger. Happy birthday, Shep. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed your day and your week. And uh, it was pretty nice to have uh, the, the tweets and the Instagrams going from Jim Rats and Joints, and also from Footy Prime, the podcast, uh, Mr. Wong's soccer podcast. Okay, into the, the big news in basketball this week. It is very unfortunate. Uh, Jamal Murray tears his ACL. Uh, he was averaging 21 points a game, 4.8 assists. The Nuggets were absolutely looking like they could make a run possibly all the way to the NBA Finals. Uh, the Nuggets played their first game uh, without Jamal. Uh, they beat Miami, but it, it's hard to picture them as a title contender right now. I, I think to start it, um, I want to ask Shep and Andy about their experience with season-ending injuries. You know, w- happening to you personally, happening to your teammates, what is the emotional response when you see it happen, when you experience it, and it obviously shatters all the emotional feeling of a team. I think there's a <clears throat> one, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, go through my career with no major injuries. Uh, in my final, my actual final year, I did have some knee issues that uh, just went unresolved. I ended up having a scope done and that. that I just realized that, that we don't need to knock on wood anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking for it. <laughs> um, and the body just healed itself in my case. But I've seen it happen to guys. I've, uh, like AR, we've been there where you went down with, uh, what was it, your knee at the time? ACL, yeah. Yeah, ACL. And it's it's tough. Like, because you see, like, you see the pain that the person's going through. And it's, and it's not the physical pain. It's the fact that you know how much they've invested into their craft. You know how much. And, it, and it's never the right time, you know, in Murray's case, he's gearing up for, you know, a, a pretty big playoff run, uh, potentially an Olympic run. Or in AR's case, you know, that was in the summer in our, you know, playing for the national team as well. And now you're getting ready for, you know, a pretty big deal going into your season. So it's always the timing is never right. And you always feel for the person and just you kind of put yourself in their shoes and you empathize with them because you're thinking damn like 
what if that was me or or mm-hmm. you know, there's so many emotions that go through that mm-hmm. um and then but the, the the thing about athletes is that they're resilient and that recovery process you know pretty much starts the next day after you get over the, the you know the woe is me yeah. it's like okay how do I get back? Mm-hmm. And that's that's most important. Yeah, I mean, it was it was exactly that. It was, you know, having having blown on my ACL in two thousand and I think it was six or seven against Brazil. Um, that's know, that's uh, Barbosa. Barbosa, the blur man. <laughs> he got that nickname for a reason. I mean, he put me in the blender. Um, and it was it was it was emotionally devastating because, like Shep said, it was the body of work. It was it was the amount of work put in to get to that point. And what you had to look forward to, you know, it kind of feels like a career ending thing, you know, and, and, you know, not to be able to be there for your teammates was, was probably the most disappointing part for me. And, you know, looking forward to the season ahead at Syracuse, we had national championship aspirations, you know, qualifying for, for Olympic events with the national team. I mean, it's devastating. And, uh, you know, you can see it on your teammates faces, you know, the kind of impact it has, um, you know, knowing that they're in similar positions, but, like, like Shep said, you give yourself a little bit of a, a, an emotional period to kind of let the hurt sink in. And, and, and Jamal was going through that last night as we as he tweeted out, you know, you, you can't keep a good man down, you know. So I, I think that, you know, it, it, you give yourself a little bit of time to hurt. Um, and there's no better time than the present to actually have an injury like the ACL just because of all the sports science behind it. You know, you're seeing guys come back in, in six months now as opposed to, maybe even a year and a half, two years beforehand, you know, just even from, even from a mental standpoint, because, you know, as, as much as your physical body progresses, your mind has to catch up and trust it and get back to, to the playing at the speed of the game where you feel comfortable making certain movements. So, so it, it, it does take a toll on you. Um, and not to mention you know, the year after uh, Eric Devendorf tore his ACL. So it was, it was almost kind of like, uh, uh, you know, blessing in disguise, you know, depending on where you're at in your career, your ability to bounce back, how it makes you stronger, uh, and, and how you have some teammates to lean on who have been in certain similar positions to help you get through it. So um, I'm confident that Jamal will get back. It's obviously super unfortunate, you know, him having the career year that he was having. He was, he was 40, 40, 87. He was really close to that 40, 50, 90 mark. Um, and I think it clearly diminishes Denver's chance for a ring this year. I mean, you have to account for his leadership you know it's it's really unfortunate and he was putting himself in a position to be you know one of the most uh, heralded point guards in the league. Yeah. and it's funny you touch on the point the, the mental aspect and i think we often lose sight of that um because that's probably the toughest part of the whole recovery process hands down because you have to you know you start to think man am i ever going to play the way i did am i ever going to cut the way i did am i yeah because you know how you play and you know you know the parts of your body like it's muscle memory you know the parts of your body that you you lean on and put a lot more pressure pressures on so you know there's always that question am i going to be able to get to my spots and yep. then when you're when you're able to start running when you're able to start you know getting on the court you really don't trust uh your body yet because you do feel or your mind protects that area every, literally every Every pang of pain feels like you just read aggravated yeah. injury. If you slip on some ice or something and and you feel pain, it's like fuck. I just I really it. torn my ACL. Yeah, yeah. It's so like, it takes some time, Chip. It's like every time I cough, I think I have COVID nineteen. <laughs> you just you trick your mind into thinking these things. Um, guys, it 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 was so so devastating to see it, and and I think you do bring a little bit of uh optimism to it ar because you're you're right you can see early uh 
the the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, possibly he could be back in six months. It, it's not, it doesn't feel like a, a career ending thing, but it really does impact his prospects this season of, of his two teams. And, you know, the, the Nuggets are obviously his, his number one priority. Um, but you mentioned team Canada as well. Why don't, why don't we start now by handicapping the Nuggets chances of, of, of being a, a champion this year, getting to the NBA finals, you know, they still have Jokic, they still have Aaron Gordon, they have depth. Um, they're a high flying, high scoring team without Jamal Murray, who was brilliant for them in the bubble last season. And in the playoffs, he, he had, you know, he was dropping fifties in the playoffs. I remember the Utah series head to head against Donovan Mitchell, which was brilliant. And, you know, if he's not on the floor, they don't come back twice from three, one. So what, what, what can the nuggets accomplish this season now that he's out? It's a, it's a huge blow because when you look at it from, you know, a st- statistical standpoint, yes. Jokic and Murray are the catalyst to this team. You know, they account for 40% of this team's offense. Um, and I think where they're even more important is the fact that these two play pick and roll the whole game. You know, they play pick and roll and the other guys on the perimeter, the other guys in this team, they feed off of that. So you take that away now. Yeah, you're going to lose Jamal scoring, but this team is that much more dynamic when you have Jokic uh, in a pick and roll with Murray. That, you know, one, Murray's, Murray's a scoring threat. Two, Jokic is a threat from outside. He's a threat, you know, a passing threat, and he's a pa- uh, he's a threat inside. So, from a dynamic standpoint, uh, and a, you know, and a, uh, you know, the, in the, the multi, they were multifaceted. Let's say that um, they're very dynamic, multifaceted. You take that away now because you don't have that threat, um, and it's going to be tough for guys to adjust. I think you know Porter Jr. was playing well, Will Barton, and guys could really feed off of what those guys were doing. Now it's going to be, you know, an adjustment period. I think if this happened earlier in the season, you allow yourself more time to um, get the chemistry you need and guys pick up their different places and then find the different spots on the court. You virtually have, what is it, maybe eight, nine more games left and you're into, you know, you're thrown into the fire. So it's going to be tough um, just to really find. And then guys have to redefine their roles now. You know, guys are going to step up as you know, who's going to step up in his, in, in his place. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the guard, uh, his backup, his replacement guard, but somebody, um, you know, somebody's going to have to step up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Coach you, you got to be important that too. You know, he, he came out and said that, you know, obviously guys need to redefine their roles, but it's really important that nobody goes out and tries to be Jamal Murray. They yeah. have to do it by committee. So you know, some interesting stats here, obviously from the uh, World Wide Web, the, the most trusted source in the world. <laughs> Their chances of, of winning a round go from 59 to 41%, 21 to 10% to make the, comp- the conference finals, 9 to 3% to make the finals, and 4 to 1% to win a title. So it, it, it clearly diminishes their chances. I mean, just from his presence alone, like Shep mentioned, he, he's the guy that they emotionally rally around. He's the team's leader. Uh, not only on the floor, but off the floor, you know, and uh, they get a similar production from Jokic, but he's not nearly, he doesn't have the same energy or passion that Jamal does. It's as you can see, (laughs) based on his blank expression, most of the time, Um, you know, even, even going into the national team stuff, I think that, you know, as much as it does hurt the the Canada overall, I think their chances to qualify remain pretty high. I think they have enough pieces to compete. You know, he was obviously a huge part of their success. 
in 2015 with the Pan Am games, you know, and that was just him at 18. So that's when he became like the leader for the national team and, and his committed his commitment early on, you know, even before the NBA season started to say that he was going to play this summer. Um, you know, it, it's a tough blow for them, but I think they can pick up the slack with, you know, uh, with, with SGA, Corey Joe, you know, Kevin Pangos is out there and you're killing right now. He had 33 and 11 against Panathinaikos to lead Zenit to the playoffs. And, and, and you have the likes of Phil Scrub out there as well. And who knows if I don't, is Lou Dort committed this summer? Do you guys know? Lou Dort is still in the mix. Like, I, I agree with that. I, don't, I think this is a bigger blow to Denver than to it Denver. is. 100%. 100%. Interesting. Like, 100%. At the end of the day, you know, I think why everybody's so hooked and fixed on Murray for the national team and why this is a big blow is because he's been the most, you know, vocal in, in saying, hey, like, and it's in expressing, I want to play for team. I'm going to play for Team Canada and, and so forth. At the end of the day, all that is fine until you lace them up. Like you actually have to be on the court to say, to, you know, follow those words. Now where the national team's concerned, we have, I think we're, we're all losing sight of the fact that we have the most NBA players outside of the USA. Yes. So yes, exactly. This is a deep pool. Like this is in, in fact, it's, it's an interesting injury. It's devastating. Yes. But this creates an opportunity for somebody else again. Like I think maybe a guy like, Andy Lombard, you know, right. Nemard, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Like we've never spoke about him being in that mix. He's having a really good season with, with you know, with New Orleans over there. You know, ten and ten and three, I believe. There's just not a lot of international experience, at least at this level, with, with some of these guys who also aren't necessarily the leaders of their NBA teams. So let's let's flip the script. How much how much international experience does Murray have at this level? Well. Uh, I mean, I, Andy mentioned the Pan Am Games in 2015. I mean, that's the centerpiece of of his international experience. But most he's of these shown guys. between that and NBA playoffs, Jamal does have an experience that the other guys don't have. But well, the thing is, is that SGA does have that you know under 21 experience internationally, mm-hmm. and he's definitely this, the unquestionably the leader of OKC. And, you know, a guy like Kevin Pangos can step in and be their premier point guard because yeah. he's one of the best in Europe right now. And 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 that may be even more so beneficial yeah. to the team than having a guy come from the NBA because he knows both systems equally. So I, it, it'll be interesting as I think it's, you know, like like everybody has said, this is a good problem to have for Nick Nurse and just having this this deep pool of players that can, you know, you can plug and play with. Um, I think the bigger question is what happens with the, you know, the Olympic qualifiers. Like, what do you, what happens there? Um, yeah. So one getting there is most important and, and probably should be the focal point. And then after that, you'll have a plethora of guys that want to play and you may even get AR back in there. You can probably get <laughs> hey. AR He's working out. He's good to go. Hey, hey, look, ah. the, the, the tournament in Victoria, it starts June 29th. You know, you have okay. Greece, China in Canada's Group A. You have Uruguay, Czech Republic, and Turkey in Group B. You really kind of have to win every game it, to, to be I the team. That, to be the team that gets to number one eh? in uh, the FIBA rankings. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I mean, so they're going to be no slouches. Yeah, no, they're not. And Turkey's going to be competitive too. You know, you, I'm sorry. The, the current standings for for the FIBA, the Continental Cup qualifiers: USA, Spain, Australia, Argentina. Serbia six, Greece. So Greece is six overall. And what's Canada's ranking? Canada is sitting at twenty-one. Yeah. So, so. you know, but again, that's an opportunity, right, for Canada to move up. It it's just that 
you know, there was a question of whether Jamal Murray would be there anyway. This event is going to be happening in late rounds of the NBA playoffs. And it was questionable, you know, he he might have been playing for the Nuggets in the conference finals or the NBA finals during that time. So I, I think that there was already, I would hope, a, a plan in place as to what to do if if Jamal Murray wasn't there. You know, you, lo- you look at the games in the NBA this week and, and really all season. You know, Jamal Murray did not play Wednesday night in the game against Miami. In the game, uh, Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, Kevin Durant did not play. James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. You look at the Clippers-Pistons game, no Kawhi, no Paul George, no Serge Ibaka. And Ted Akumpo has a knee injury. He'll, he's going to miss his seventh straight game for the Bucs uh, against Atlanta. LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward didn't play for Charlotte. For Toronto, Kyle Lowry didn't play. Fred Van Vliet didn't play. Gary Trent didn't play. They've had injuries and illness all season. You guys mentioned uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Lou Dort. He did not play. They, neither of them played against Golden State. And to me, that game was notable because Steph Curry and Draymond Green did play. Guys, the injuries this season, beyond the, the COVID scares and the COVID illness, have really marked this NBA season. I guess the question is the tight schedule, There's so many games in a tightly spun calendar. Is it the schedule that's responsible or, or maybe there's a, a feeling in the game in this, in the league this year that some of these regular season games just aren't that important. What, what do you think it is? I think, you know, this year, I actually thought we started out the season pretty, pretty good with injuries considering uh, I thought it would have been more early on in the season, but I, I also feel like it's a domino effect and, we're feeling the effects of it even more now because you're 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 getting the, the health and safety protocols, which is leading to you know losses for teams, and then you know one injury here, one real injury leads to a couple more losses. So that effect is felt far more than than just um, you know any other year. Now, with that being said, this late into the season, you're also going to get you're also going to get um, teams protecting their investments, uh, and I think you know Shea may be a perfect example of that. Um, guys sitting especially if they're not in contention yeah like you're not in playoff contention it's what what are you really doing now you start playing the game of the lottery uh and then you have you know there's teams that are that are in playoffs uh not not going to be in playoff situation but have already established that hey you know one or two games are on the lock of playoff seed then you're also thinking okay this season has been condensed uh it's been a lot on the guys bodies let's start to rest them in an effort to be you know in tip-top shape for for playoffs. So I think over the stretch of this last month, we're going to see a lot of that. And it's going to be, it's going to, we're going to attribute it to injuries of, you know, the condensed season. But a lot of that is, you know, like, like AR said, sports science being, you know, more intelligent, more knowledgeable and adjusting to the season and to, um, you know, still dealing with the health, health and safety protocols. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think this year the injuries were, had that much to do with the season. No. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Piggybacking off what you said, Chef, there's so they're playing 3.6 per games per week this season compared to 3.4 to last season during a normal season. So the injury rate for the season is in line with the data from the previous five seasons. So we can't say that it's attributed to the schedule com- com- convincingly. But there's 72 games between December 22nd and May 16th. 
And that's coming off the shortest, shortest offseason in league history. So obviously you're setting yourself up for failure with fatigue. Um, guys just not being able to recover, uh, especially guys that went really deep in the playoffs last season. And I understand the need to condense the schedule from a business perspective. You know, obviously somebody has to pick to carry and pay these these massive mega salaries. Uh, and not to mention the league lost about 1.5 billion in revenue last season, not to mention what they're losing, you know, to the Chinese market. Um, and, and obviously you have to allot the time for guys to get to their respective national teams to train uh, in, in July. So, it, you know, at what cost though? You know, this, this is the, the fourth ACL of the season after Spencer Dinwiddie, Markel Fultz and, and, and Washington's Thomas Bryant. And, you know, there seems to be a, a recurring theme, you know, when there's not enough time or, or uh, time in between games or, or the schedule is condensed that you set yourself up for failure in terms of, you know, burning guys out especially given the fact that, you know, there's there's uh, 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 not a lot that these players can do in, in terms of having freedom and, and, and emotionally kind of uh, decompressing. Um, but at the same time, you're not traveling as much as you did last year. So that takes away a lot of the fatigue that you would get maybe going to a different time zone, playing a back-to-back -back and traveling. So I think it's all really relative. Um, I think That's that something. the biggest thing is just the mental fatigue, the monotony of the day-to-day -day and the bubble-like state with the limitations, what you can and can't do. I think that's what's kind of, you know, blocking these athletes away uh, 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 right now and, and, and it, producing it, all these injuries. Andy, are you saying that the, the partying actually helps? I, I, I wouldn't doubt it that it does. Like. I mean, it's an, it's an escape, right? I mean, yeah. if you're so locked You're missing one thing it. that you do. Yeah, yeah. You know, even having the freedom and the ability to go out to eat, it doesn't have to be partying. It could be, you know, visiting groups of people and family, you know, when normally that would that wouldn't even be a consideration obviously you're going to go do those things and guys have their certain sets of of people that they see and 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 uh kind of spots that they hit in each city and that's no longer a thing you're just limited to your hotel room it's almost even worse than being in the bubble because it's right at your fingertips but you can't touch it you know at least when you're in the bubble you're locked in you have no other idea of of being off the campus so it's called it's almost like a tease and, and that, that has to mentally wear on guys well, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right in terms of the business aspect of it. And I think mm -hmm. the NBA and the Players Association, uh, they made an agreement that they wanted to go forward with the business. And yeah, the, the last finals, it, when, did, when did it end? Was it October? I don't even know. It, it, was, it, was, just such, it was such a quick turnaround. There just wasn't was, that, it, it, there wasn't that, pause in the nba season it just felt like one season blended into the next and you know but you know what you know what there must be some recovery time there has to be some recovery time but there's also a number of players in the nba that really take that downtime and shut it down so oh, yeah you know it's it's a lot harder i think for myself um and, and it it also boils down to body types as well um you know a guy like myself or guys that have more muscle mass, it's a lot harder to gear completely down and then gear all the way back up. I had to actually maintain a level through my off season of, mm -hmm. you know, not ramping up conditioning or anything like that, but still staying relatively active. Now, I think for some guys, that was actually a benefit and saved them injuries because they were able, they were, they were in shape uh, all the way throughout. So it really just boils down to body type, man. I don't think there's, you know, AR touched on the travel. I think that's something that the league needs to look at and, you know, and, and use going forward, implement going forward, 
just limiting the travel and and really you know planning the 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 team's road trips and so forth so you know mm-hmm. you're not flying from LA to all the way to Toronto back to the Clippers right yeah. um, so that helped as well well we'll uh hopefully the next season will start at the regular time and everything will get back to normal in the NBA and in the world we're going to take a quick break here on Jim Rats and Joints when we come back we're going to talk about Luca's game winner and his distaste for the new playoff format. And we will talk about the Ottawa Blackjacks' new U Sports draft picks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com gotta get it in here's luca gets it away it's good a dungeon's And that was last night. Luka Doncic hits an incredible game-winning shot at the buzzer to sink the Memphis Grizzlies. Little reminiscent of none other than Larry Bird. Luka Doncic wants the Mavs to finish in sixth because he does not like the play-in round where, where seven plays eight and the loser plays the winner of 9-10 to decide the last two playoff spots we've talked about it over these last few weeks and months Luka Doncic and Javon Shepard are uh, kind of uh, brethren on this one they they would agree that the the play-in games don't really reward you for your work during the season I I think uh, we have to talk about this amazing game-winning shot but also you know is Luka right to say what he said about not wanting uh, clearly doesn't want to play in the play-in games but he kind of trashed them as well was was he a bit out of line by saying that not at all i mean what are we playing playing games for like at the end of the day this worked last season because it was short in season each team didn't play uh, the same amount of games but you've had a full season every team's gonna play 72 games what the hell are we doing a playing playing season for you're rewarding teams that didn't make the cut for the play for the top eight um, and then putting, you know, the teams that finished in those, what is it, eight, nine spots in a predicament. Like, they they, they did their body of work. Now it's time to gear up for playoffs. So I completely agree with him. I, I think it's pointless. Um, I, I don't understand what's behind it. Um, but I'm sure if I was, you know, if you're like somebody like the Raptors right now, you're grateful for this. Or, you know, somebody in that 9, 10, uh, 11 seed, and you're fighting for a chance to be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Oh, first of all, I want to express my my disappointment in in Lucas' teammates after he hit that shot. Like I saw, oh, the only guy I really saw embracing was Tim Hardaway Jr. and everybody else was kind of lacklusterly walking from the bench, you know, smiling. A Michigan but guy like, might have had a winner. There you go. Exactly. He knows. He knows exactly <laughs> how to get that. But I, I just I just feel like it, it it was more deserving, especially in the position that they're in. Uh, of a bigger celebration uh, i'm just so sure that they're used to luca's theatrics by now that it's just it's just that what they expect of him um but i mean look 
Mark Cuban doubled down and said that the worst part of this approach is that it doubles the stress of the compressed schedule, something that we were just talking about. Um, and I understand that it's different. Like it breaks up the monotony. It gives it that NCAA tournament feel similar to the TBT, even the CBL with the Elam ending and other leagues who have introduced, you know, different finishing formats to make the game more entertaining. But I don't think when you have a multi-billion dollar industry or company who rightfully earn their place, you know, by regular season's end, that has to be put in jeopardy by a team that might be 10, 12, 15 games behind them or even carry a losing record. And in one game, which everybody knows in the NBA, you, can, you know, anybody can win on any given night. That's, that's just the amount of talent that's in the league. Your entire season is contingent upon that as well as the revenue generated by playoff basketball, which is the time that you, you really make money. Uh, and, and not more importantly than the money is, is a missed chance to uh, on an opportunity for to win a championship. So, like Shep said, if you're a team like the Raptors, it kind of saves you. Essentially, it's your, your your only hope at this point, you know, to really get into that, you know, six seventh spot. Um, you know, with, with 16 games left, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy that the that the Raptors could make a run. Um, but I think that they're largely dependent on something like this. Uh, so it depends on who you're a fan of, I guess. Well, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Doncic, and I, I said at the beginning of the year he might be in the MVP race. You look at the injuries now, you know, it's not going to be LeBron. It's not going to be Antetokounmpo. They're not going to give it to him three years in a row. There's, there's always a politics to the voting of it. Um, Harden comes to the Nets and probably was the MVP, but he's missing games now. It KD does a lot of games as well. Yeah, it, and KD, certainly it. It has the MVP race kind of come down now to these um, two European guys who really change the way the game is played. Like Doncic, uh, twenty-eight point six points, eight point six assists. That's sixth in the league and eight rebounds. And Nikola Jokic, twenty-six points a game, eleven rebounds, and fourth in the league with eight point eight assists. And you know these are. These are two teams that are going to be in the playoffs. They might even be battling it out between the two of them in that four, five, six range. It, are we probably going to see one of these two guys be the MVP this year, AR? Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I think you guys are forgetting a couple of big names here. Damian Lillard, who's averaging 30 and almost eight assists per game. Yeah. And, and not to mention, you know, Portland's, they're, they're climbing right now. They're sitting in sixth. Uh, they, have a, they have a favorable schedule to close out the season. And we're also forgetting about the, one of the most dominant centers in the game, Joel Embiid. You know, he's averaging 30, 11 rebounds per game and, and, and almost two blocks per game. So, you know, they're sitting number one in the East right now. I think that, you know, a big man hasn't won, a true big man hasn't won the MVP in a long time. So I think they might be leaning favorably in his direction if they continue to win um it, i don't think it's a lock you know for, for luca at this point uh, i think that he's gonna have to really pull out some more magic and put themselves in a position to compete in the playoffs if that's the case and you know i agree um i i, I say Embiid is probably leading the race right now um dame is in that mix with, with what portland's doing and I know I'm going to take some backlash for that, but hey, you know, he's in there. But I think one name that was You're a big man for, for accepting that stuff. One guy that we're overlooking, and it might I might be throwing a wrench in the mix, is Donovan Mitchell. Like mm. at the end of the day, this his team is the number one team, not just in the West, but in the league, right? And he's still, you know, he's playing at a high level and, and they, they continue to win. So I wouldn't completely take him out of the equation. Um, there could even be a co MVP. 
uh, this year. And I think that's something that you look at as well, because there's no clear runaway winner, again, with what you guys said, injuries and so forth. A mm-hmm. lot of guys have sat out a lot of games. It, absolutely. And, and I, you know, with Embiid, I think you have to look at the injury factor too. I mean, he, I just looked at some of the stats and he doesn't even qualify because he's missed so many games. He's missed, uh, it looks like about 18, 20 games. And I, I would agree with you, AR, if the 76ers finish in first place, Embiid really you can't not consider it at that point. He yeah. has to be. He has to be the MVP. I mean, there's no way they're finishing in first place with, without Embiid having the season he's having. But it, you know, if if Embiid is 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 still in the mix, you know, then then LeBron has to still be in the mix because look how the Lakers have tanked without him. LeBron's so, always in the mix. He's always in the mix. But no when's doubt. the last time a true center has actually won the MVP? Has it been Shaq? I think it's been that long. That's a great question. It it, it would uh, it would probably be Shaq. Guys, yeah. let's look in. Let's do some this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Hashtag TDITRH on Twitter. You know, I, I was thinking the other day that it was just two years ago that we were winding up for what would turn out to be the Raptors' historic championship run. Uh, a lot in the world has changed in the two years since. But on this day, April 15th, 2019, it was game two against the Orlando Magic. And, you know, the Raptors, as has been a pattern, um, at least up to that point, they dropped game one at home and they came into a kind of a must-win situation uh, in game two against Orlando. Uh, They come through, they beat the Magic 111-82. They tie the first round series at one game apiece. Kawhi Leonard goes off scores 37 points on 15 of 22 shooting in the real statement of what that playoff season was going to be like, his dominant uh, presence. Kyle Lowry has 22 and seven. Pascal Siakam notches a double-double. The uh, the Magic are dizzied from this game and never recover. They never win again. The Raptors win the series 4-1, but there are still questions about their championship makeup heading into the the feisty Philadelphia series that would come next. This date in Toronto Raptors history, I know I was there. Hashtag T-D-I-T-R-H. Okay, let's get into the Raptors today. Uh, they're coming off a win against the San Antonio Spurs on Wednesday night. As mentioned earlier in the podcast, Lowry didn't play, Van Vliet didn't play. Uh, Gary Trent, who's had some amazing games for the Raptors since being acquired for Norman Powell, also did not play. Um, The Bulls, if you look ahead in the standings, the Bulls have dropped 10 of their last 13 games. They've slid to 10th, but the Wizards are healthy, and they're virtually tied with Toronto in 11th. So the play-in games qualifying in in 9 and 10, it's it's looks like it's going to go down to the end of the season. I, I think the question for the Toronto Raptors is, do you play to get into those games? Is there value in winning more games and getting to that 9-10? It's, hey, maybe even 7 or 8 still. But by doing that, um, in a year where you probably aren't going to make a championship run, you're getting less ping pong balls in the draft lottery. We know it's a stacked draft this year. There's a lot of great talent coming out of the NCAA, coming out of the G League, and maybe uh, Europe as well. What would be 
the best move for the Raptors guys is should they be playing for the lottery at this point or should they still be making a run at the playoffs? Uh, you know, they're in a, they're in a very funny situation. I think with the, the, the nature of the team right now, of those, of the, you know, Chicago is, you know, has some momentum and they're building on, you know, their core group of guys. The Raptors, I think, right now are trying to re-identify who they are as a team with this young with this young group. So they're they're in an interesting situation. They have enough talent to fight down the stretch, but I think it's also important for these guys to get the younger guys, uh, Flynn, Harris, and these and and, and those guys, uh, Gary Trent Jr. to get a lot of reps, a lot of time, a lot, and their confidence up more than anything, so that you know you start next season fresh. Um, you know, these guys have the confidence and they know that they can play the level and they know that they can they can compete. There's, you know, you obviously start looking at this draft, or, you know, a decently talented draft. And there's going to be, you know, your eyes are going to, you know, open up wide for what's, what's out there. Um, when you're looking at the schedules of, you know, the teams ahead or, or even Chicago at, at that matter, you know, they don't have the tiebreaker with Chicago. So essentially they need to finish, you know, three, four games above Chicago in order to make that that play in game um, when you're looking at the schedule I don't think uh, they're in a position to um, so it's it's tough I think you know Chicago if, I, if I'm remembering correctly um, Chicago has the lighter schedule um, and, and again has you know the edge on them so these guys, they just really have to decide what they want to do with the team, what direction they want to go. I think it's probably best um, to let their young guys play, get some confidence, get some rhythm, get some game time, on it because there's no better reps than real time. And I think at yeah. the same time, they still have enough talent to be competitive, uh, even if they're playing with those young guys, which we've seen last night against the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with Shep. I think it's really important to get those young guys reps uh, especially if possible playoff reps, because I think down, you know, in a, in a winning culture, you want guys to be experienced and prepared as best you can, you know, for the postseason. Uh, I think it's entirely too difficult to tank in a depleted and weakened Eastern Conference. Orlando and Detroit already have lottery aspirations. You know, there's a six th game differential in counting. I, I think you have to take into account, you know, the league's worst Minnesota T-Wolves and Houston Rockets. It seems like the lottery is a stretch for them. So the Raps have their own first-round pick in 2021 and, and have acquired two second-round picks. So I think they'll be fine come draft time. I, I think that with the new acquisitions in, 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 uh, in the buyout market, especially with Ken Birch, who, who I'm a huge fan of uh, in his journey, and only three games, that were obviously a really small sample size, he's averaging career highs and field goals attempted and field goals, field goals percentage was 68. He's had a huge impact already. Um, you know, it's a season-high yesterday with rebounds of 54 uh, combining Ken Birch and Freddie Gillespie who's on his 10 day and, and likely to be re-signed I think this gives them the depth that they lack at the center position or in the paint in general you know as you see Baines didn't come off the bench last night so it, it seems like they're filling the gaps in the right way Malachi he had a really efficient game even though he didn't shoot it well he's 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 turning into a Freddie type of player Freddie caliber type of player just steady he doesn't look rushed, you know, for a rookie. He's really, really competent. Um, and, and I think, you know, they, they put themselves in a good enough position to compete in the East without having to sacrifice, you know, the opportunity to, to the, for the playoffs this season. Well, I, I like what you're hearing from what I'm hearing from you guys. And I, I think that the, the consensus among us is, is 
play the young guys and yeah. see where it gets you. You know, if if the young guys are developing and you happen to land a playoff spot, that's great. And then yep. they have that experience. They are more confident in their abilities as NBA players. And hey, maybe they get a playoff game or a playoff round. Um, but at the, at the same time, I would, yeah, it's it's probably too late to see them sneak up into that one, two, and three in the lottery. Maybe they get lucky and they land there anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I think the best thing for the Toronto Raptors moving forward is to play these young guys, see what they have, and and get them that experience. I'll, I'll tell you, though, I looked at the box score of the San Antonio game <clears throat> this morning, and the the turnover from from the championship two years ago is just incredible. And, you know, uh, our, our producer, Dan Wong, the birthday boy, mentions in a text here that at one point on the court, you had Gillespie, Watson, Birch, Flynn, and Watanabe. And, I mean, that is just, uh, uh, that is not your daddy's Toronto Raptors. Maybe your daddy, Andy, but man, that is that is a different look Toronto Raptors. And and look, I think that's part of the fun too. I remember having this conversation uh with a buddy of mine who's a big Toronto Blue Jays fan. And when they, you know, they had that team with uh Josh Donaldson that made the playoffs for a couple of years, you know, Jose Batista, the bat flip. That was an mm-hmm. exciting, amazing baseball team that everybody rallied around. They got a little older and the, the players had to leave and they started the the rebuild. And, and this buddy of mine said to me, hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing young players and seeing the new direction of the team as well. So, there, you know, you don't have to be in the championship mix every year. It would be nice to see the Raptors make the playoffs this year. It would be their eighth consecutive year, which I think is the longest streak in the league right now because San Antonio didn't make it last year. But look, I think whichever direction they're going in right now, uh, there, you know, there is reason for optimism. You know, they're not these other teams. Like you look at Orlando Magic, Detroit Pistons, Minnesota Timberwolves, and those organizations look helpless to me. I, I think the Raptors are still in a position where they can be competing, you know, possibly even by next year. Guys, one one thing that uh, really impacted me uh, on Wednesday, like was in my brain, it was in my heart, was the Canadian Elite Basketball League draft. And this is something I hadn't really paid much attention to in the past, but now I'm involved in the league with the, with the TV broadcasting. And you guys, my brothers, are the front office of one of the teams, the Ottawa Blackjacks. Um, so I was thinking about you while you were going through this draft process, which has to be so cool to be doing a living, breathing draft. I want to name the players that the Blackjacks drafted, and then I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys liked about them as, as people and players. So Ali So was your first pick out of Wilfrid Laurier University, uh, Guillaume Pepin out of University of Ottawa, and Grady. Thank you. Appreciate that. All those years of uh, Francais. Grady Cancou okay. from Ontario Tech. I didn't even know we had an Ontario Tech. So first, I, first <laughs> I am so interested to hear about these players. And um, Shep, you're the general manager. Why don't you tell us about them? Well, like AR mentioned, from you started, with, you ended with Grady Cancou. You know, we got the first ever. That was the first ever pick from Ontario Tech, uh, which I thought was you know special for him. And the fact that he can put his, you know, his school on the map. 
you know, a, a former coach of ours, Greg Francis, you know, played a big part in, you know, just getting to know Grady because, uh, you know, he coaches him. And, you know, we, we watched some film on him, watched a lot of film on him, did research there. Um, and, you know, he's, he's raw, but, you know, he was missing do it all for that team. And we thought, you know, he, if he came in with his athleticism, his length and just his humility and wanting to learn, I would be a really good fit because, you know, it's a, it's a long-term play for us. Uh, and, you know, he's a kid that has aspirations to play professionally at, you know, at some of the highest levels and, you know, just surrounding him with some of the people that we have on, that we one have on our staff, but as well and as the players and the veterans that have done it before, I think that's a, it was a great opportunity for him, um, one for the school. Uh, and again, like, you know, these guys are making the most money, but it's great for their families as well, just to be, especially being a, you know, a local kid to come in and just be able to be in front of his family. Hopefully at some point we get back to some normalcy and some fans will be there, uh, if not this year, next year. And then, um, you know, Ali So, he is, you know, a local legend, um, you know, a, a smaller guard. And again, another kid, a tremendous talent. He can really score the basketball. I can't, you know, the number of texts, I had a number of texts about him yesterday. Like, wow, you really got a player. Like he, he's been, he's somebody that's, you know, not valued as, as much as he should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've, we've, the guys that we have um, still, there's a couple guys still to be named. Um, but, you know, you know about Junior Kudugan that's on our team. That's a veteran guard. And that was, you know, for us, it was just putting, coupling those guys together. Uh, that you can get that leadership, that mentorship, and and Ali comes in. I think you know. I think he'll be able to help us, man. I think with all these guys, the important thing is that they come in eager to learn, um, and just be able to adapt and, and and more than anything, get back to their their collegiate teams and go in with that confidence that is going to turn them into stars. It's going to make them believe in their in their abilities. And Guillermo Pepin. He's, you know, a, a big time utility guy. He can play multiple positions, um, you know, can guard to, you know, at, at the level he plays now, he can probably guard one through four, one through five. Uh, and I think that's going to be a part of the adjustment for a guy like him as well as coming, you know, getting into the professional ranks where he's, you know, playing guys that are a bit more athletic, a bit faster, um, you know, have a bit more size and has some really good ability. Now, where do you find your niche, right? So maybe you don't, you're not able to guard four positions anymore, but you're able to guard two, but you got, you do that really well. Uh, he can really shoot the basketball. And he's another guy. I think, you know, these guys aren't, they're probably not going to, I was transparent with them as well. When we spoke, you're probably not going to come in and play 20 minutes. So if that's the opportunity you're looking for, then this, this probably won't be the place, but if you're willing to come in and learn um, and just, just, you know, eager to get after it, Hey, then my hands are off. Like you could create a lane for yourself. And they were all receptive to that. And, and, you know, I'm excited about that. I think we're all excited about them. And the fact that they are, you know, some local guys that wanted to play mm -hmm. for the team was huge. AR, you can, you can probably. No, I mean, you know, building around guys that come from the community is, is, is a big deal for us. And that's something that we want to do continuously going forward is to give guys chances that, you know, are from the soil. Um, and, 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 First and foremost, we, we want to thank our staff for helping us comprise this. You know, it was it was a team effort. Uh, you know, these guys that we picked individually were, were very hardworking guys. And most importantly, they're character guys. They're high character guys. And that's one of the most important things to us in building this program. It seems like there's very little that separates a lot of guys these days. You know, everybody kind of is on the same wave in terms of personal trainers and social media. The ease of becoming 
a great basketball player is, is, is at your fingertips these days. Just depends upon the work that you put in. So really what separates guys is the character. And we couldn't be happier with Ali, Guillaume, and, and Grady. Um, and, and, you know, to speak on the CEBL's behalf, I love the idea that they're doing this because it gives young guys the experience of playing in a professional setting before they actually might be ready for it. It gives them confidence heading back to the universities. It gives them a chance to pick veterans' brains and learn from guys who have played in a multitude of countries and leagues. And, and, and for us, it gives us a chance to add depth with, and talent without breaking the bank. So I, I kind of liken it to Europe, you know, where in almost every country they have a youth team mainly comprised of 17 to 20-year-olds who are still in school. Shep, as you know, you know, they're competing every day with us in practice after their respective practices. And they compete with their own team in the lower division on the weekend. It's a lot for them, don't get me wrong, but it gives them invaluable experience. You know, you, you don't get that anywhere else. You know, you're playing against grown men and their development is fast-tracked fast just by being there, not to mention the, the advice that they receive and, and the work that they put in themselves. So I think it's really beneficial for both parties. Uh, I'm really happy with the work that Shep's done and, uh, and, and, and bringing these guys in. And, and we're really excited to have them and work for them and, and make them better players by the end of the summer. If I'm a university student athlete in Canada and I get offered basically a summer job with a pro basketball team to play, to practice, to be around it, to be around that setting, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that is an incredible opportunity. And when, when I learned that this is, you know, this is the system that's being done, I, I just think that is so progressive and forward thinking to include university basketball players in, in, the, in the CEBL. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And, you know, one or two of these guys, maybe not on your team, but of these university players in the league, someone's going to stand out and be, be a wonderful player. Uh, Saturday, June 5th, Hamilton Honey Badgers at Ottawa Blackjacks, the first game in Ottawa, uh, Shep and Andy's first game as, as the front office. Unfortunately, I won't be able to attend that night in the presidential suite because I'll be in Abbotsford at the uh, the kickoff game of the season. Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, in, in, in Abbotsford. Um, I won't be able to see uh, that first game, guys. I guess it's being played in Hamilton, so maybe I can come to the first uh, the first game in Ottawa. Um, let, let's, let's go back to, uh, to NBA. Uh, I want to start in the Western Conference here because – the Phoenix Suns, we, I feel like we do talk about them every week, but they keep getting better. And it looked like Utah was going to run away with the Western Conference in, in the regular season. But you look, at, you look at the Suns right now, they're 28-6 and six in the last 34 games. They're only a game and a half behind the Jazz. And it seems like it doesn't matter who you put out in front of them. It feels like they're going to win. Uh, Guys, do we think that Phoenix is going to catch Utah and maybe finish the season in first place? Not a chance. Not a chance. Utah has... Oh, you've been on Phoenix's... I've been, I've been on all year. But I'm, a, but I'm a straight shooter. The reality is Utah has Houston in their last couple of games, Minnesota twice, mm-hmm. uh, and Sacramento down the stretch. Those all have to be wins. Um, you know, Phoenix would really have to run the table to have a chance at that you know, that first, that first seed. And I think Utah's done a, a really good job of, you know, their body of work for, for 
the, from the beginning of the season. And, and at the end of the day, the basketball gods are going to re- reward that. So, yeah, I, I think with the, the strength of schedule down the stretch, um, Utah has a, a slightly, slightly lighter. And, you know, they're going to cruise into that first. But, you know, you still have to – I think where you have to really watch out for Phoenix is, you know, the playoff team that they can be. And you showed they showed that in the play on in the play in um, – what was it in the bubble last year? Bubble last year. Yep. Yeah, the bubble last year. And now you add uh, Crowder, you add, you know, uh, Chris Paul, who AR is not a fan of, but to me, these guys are established in playoffs. You add that, you know, to the mix, that's a team really to be reckoned with. And, and I, I've always said it, they have an inside presence. They play a balanced attack with, you know, some pick and roll game. And then you have, you know, Booker, like he can really fill up the basket. So, they have. I like how they play because they they just have a mix of things that they can really throw at you. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I completely agree with Shep. I don't think they have a chance. You know, Phoenix still has Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, L.A. times two, and Portland. Like, their schedules just don't align. And I think that Phoenix has the much more difficult stretch uh, to end the season. But either way, this season's a win for Phoenix. It's their first winning season since 2013-14 when they went 48 and 34 and, and begrudgingly, I have to admit, yes, chef, that Chris Paul has been a major factor in, in and it's really hard to dismiss his impact. Uh, even in the 16th season, he's still producing on both ends of the floor. He's averaging 16, five and nine. And I think he really sets the tone for this team defensively. I think that's what they've been priding themselves on. Uh, Mikael Bridges is one of the, you know, leading defensive specialists in the league. They're fifth overall in the league and their defensive rating. You know, that coupled with D-Book's all-star averages, I, I think that, you know, they're in, they're in championship contention for sure. It's all going to come down to how they handle this last stretch of the season. But but like I said, they're, they're heading in the right direction. I think, you know, their management, you know, their overturn and, and Monty Williams being head coach, I think he's a player's coach. I think he understands the dynamic there. And, and they're really building something special in Phoenix and trying to build off their, their 8-0 in the bubble last season in the playoffs. They certainly did take that that bubble performance and uh, use that to put themselves mm-hmm. in a in a better mindset coming into this year. And yeah, they're they're one of the great stories of the year. By the way, I just want to correct myself a, a little earlier. So the Ottawa Blackjacks first game in Ottawa is Thursday, June twenty fourth at TD Place. They'll be hosting the Niagara River Lions. Guys, sorry, I, I still can't be there. It's oh. all good. <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe at some point in the summer, I can get up there. Um, oh, yeah, I will. I will be there for the game in July. There we go. But I'll be working. I won't be able to sit and get all that hospitality from my front office friends. <laughs> uh, guys, last topic before we get out of here. Um, and much like the Phoenix Suns, I think the Atlanta Hawks are a feel-good story in the NBA this season. Uh, they did have some issues, and they had to uh, fire the head coach, Lloyd Pierce, um, that that was 21 games ago. And then they put in Nate McMillan, who is a proven uh, NBA head coach, and they've gone 16 and five. They're now five games over 500 overall, and they sit in fourth place in the East. Injuries have been an issue, like for almost every team in the league. Trey Young hasn't been playing. DeAndre Hunter is not playing, but they're still winning. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been great. Lou Williams fitting in, coming in off the bench. Guys, is is this team? I mean, I don't think anybody would have ranked them as the fourth best team in the East. You know, they're they still sit ahead of Boston. They sit ahead of Miami. 
could they actually finish in fourth place in the East and have a, a home court in the first round of the playoffs? Uh, I'll take that one. No doubt. I think it was, uh, I think it was clear that uh, the team needed to change on the bench. And, and like you said, DG, they got that Nate McMillan. I think, you know, going on an eight and zero run as soon as he took over, it's clear that he seems to have brought direction and there seems to be more balance with the shot selection with, with individual roles. I think that was lost before. And Trey young was just kind kind of trying to scramble and, and take shots where he could to keep the team afloat. But they did an outstanding job in free agency. You know, they surrounded Trey with some veteran talent, you know, with the likes of Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, you know, the latest acquisition with Lou Will is the best six man in NBA history with loads of playoff experience. I think he does wonders for their team on the court and off the court. He's a locker room guy. They're going to be a tough team to bang with in the playoffs and definitely exciting team to watch in the future. And I know we mentioned it you know, almost weekly, but but huge shout out to Landry Fields being the assistant GM there and making waves in his first yeah. season. I think that, you know, their management is is, is, is ahead of the game right now. And, and, and it's a testament to uh, where they've been and, and where they are now. And they, you know, I think they're, they're winning games that they're supposed to win right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, coming off the last three games, Charlotte, Chicago, Toronto, or the last three wins are, are those three teams. And, you know, I don't think they have another Western Conference uh, game for the rest of the season. I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me there. But, um, you know, I think for them, that's a really good test going into the playoffs. Um, and they're, they're applying pressure, man. I haven't, I, I haven't been a Trey Young fan, but uh, I like how they're playing now. And I think, again, you, like you said, they brought in Lou Will. That's, that's you know, a nice piece, a nice addition there. Uh, and they're starting to gel together. Can they finish in that top four seed? I'm not too sure. I, I think they, they're, they're either going to finish fourth, fourth or fifth. Um, you know, Boston to me is, is somebody that's knocking at their door and they, they're playing really good basketball. They're, they're an up and down team, but they're extremely talented. And I think if they can really pull it down, you know, put it together down the stretch, they'll they'll probably finish in that in that four spot. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a toss up. And I think they're really, you know, with their strength of their schedule and the fact that they're playing majority Eastern Conference teams down to their last couple of games, I think they'll be um you know, they'll be ready for this playoff run. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, Landry Fields, a friend of this show, one of our early guests, and, of course, a former teammate of Andy Routens on the New York Knicks. So it, it is great to see it. Also, uh, Nathaniel Mitchell, assistant coach of the Charlotte Hornets, who was on Good our show, definitely hoping to see the Hornets get into the playoffs at well, as well. And it, it would just be so cool to see some of these new teams, new faces, new coaches, new GMs, um, making early marks um, in their in their careers in those positions, and hey, maybe Vince Carter sh- should have stuck around for another year with the Hawks. Might have got that one last chance at the at, ring. Uh, at the ring. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Don't forget to rate and review us on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on social media at Jim Rot Jim Rats Podcast. Thank you to our producer extraordinaire, the birthday boy, Dan Wong. Follow him on social at Dan Wong Says. You can follow Javon Shepard on social at Javon Shepard. He is also verified on Instagram. Andy Routens is on Instagram at Andy Routens. Also, check out the Ottawa Blackjacks website, the CEBL website, for more on their team. I'm Dan Gladman. You can find me on social at DG on the road. Thank you so much for listening. 
We will catch up with you again next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.